Welcome to the 352nd episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. Stay tuned for my interview with George Burns, author of the novel The Pagan's Revenge. And stay tuned after the interview for a short excerpt of George reading from his novel The Pagan's Revenge. Stay tuned for the interview. The Reading and Writing Podcast is brought to you by Libro FM. Libro.fm lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore. You can pick from more than 185,000 audiobooks, including bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers. You'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there, but you'll be part of a different story one that supports your local community and your local bookstore. If you're new to audiobooks, they're the perfect way to get more books into your busy life. You can listen during your commute, while doing chores, walking the dog, or just relaxing at home. All you need is a smartphone and the free Libro.fm app. If you already love audiobooks and don't know what to listen to next, check out recommendations and curated lists from people who know audiobooks best, your local bookseller. Here's your special offer from the Reading and Writing Podcast. Get two audiobooks for the price of one today with your first month of membership with the code RWPODCAST at checkout. This offer is only valid for new members in Canada and the U.S., Check out Libro.fm today. Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is George Burns, author of the new novel, The Pagan's Revenge. George, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Jeff. Glad to be here. Great. Well, if someone listening hasn't heard about your book, The Pagan's Revenge yet, how would you describe the novel? Primarily, it's historical fiction. It's set in the year 908 in Ireland. Um, it centers around what culminates into a battle between the Kingdom of Munster and the Kingdom of Leinster. Ireland at the time was an island divided into a bunch of small kingdoms, and they were constantly at war with each other. And then you had the Viking presence to throw a little bit of spice into the mix as well. So essentially, it is a, a bill, a, the culmination to that battle at the at towards the end of the book and it's centered around real people and real events for the most part but the uh the written history and the facts around what exactly happened is very bare so the book is my interpretation of what has happened and the build up to that sure well do you remember the original idea that came to you for writing the pagan's revenge yeah i love history and I was listening to a podcast called the Irish History Podcast. It's by uh, a man named Finn DeWire, and he, he gets really detailed. It's a great podcast if you are interested in Irish history. But he spoke about, at one particular time, a king of Munster who was also a bishop. And I just found it amazing that there was this bishop who was leading armies to war. And... There is a lot of fiction or historical fiction rather out there about this time period, but not specifically to Ireland. Like you've got you've got Bernard Cornwell's Saxon Chronicles and you've got the History Channel TV show Vikings and The Last Kingdom on Netflix. 
but there's nothing specifically for Ireland in that time period. And I just thought that that history is so rich. It's, there's so many stories from that time period waiting to be told. But the, the first idea came from that podcast when I heard about that king whose name was Cormac McQuillanon. And the book does center around him quite a bit. Um, I believe he was ultimately canonized. I think he he is he became Saint Cormac at one stage. He was a very a very pious man and a very learned man. Ireland at that time was known as the land of saints and scholars, and and the word of Christianity was spreading. And Ireland had become quite a strong Christian island at that point. But that's more or less where it came from. It was was it it sprang from that character and built from there. So he was a fighting bishop. <laughs> he was a fighting bishop, which, yeah, I just found fascinating. And and since then, I have actually seen something similar in the TV series Vikings, which, as I said, is set in a very similar time period. So it was quite common for the Christian church to be militant. Like even even later in, in history, in, in the 13th, 14th century, when you had the, the Knights Templar, you've probably heard of, who, who fought the Crusades in in the Middle East and and also springing from them there was the Knights Hospitaller but that's a different story for another day but yeah there is there is quite a dis- decent history of uh, warfare within Christianity itself and within the church. So what are your early memories of reading fantasy or historical fiction? My early memories of fantasy and historical fiction would probably be starting on the fantasy end of things with a uh, some of Raymond E. Feist's books. He's he's a prolific writer. I don't know how many books he's written, but he's written a lot of fantasy books and, and many, many series. And Stephen King is more of a horror writer, but he kind of verged into the fantasy writing a little bit with the Dark Tower series, which is another fantastic fantasy series on the fantasy side of things. The historical fiction side of things, I mentioned Bernard Cornwell with the Saxon Chronicles they are um, set in England around the 8th, 9th century, around the time when the, when the Vikings, the Danes, are, are warring with the, uh, with the Saxons, who would be Germanic-based. And um, also, th- there's an Irishman called Tim Severin who's written some really good historical fiction books also. And had you always wanted to be a writer? How much had you written before sitting down and writing The Pagan's Revenge? Not that much. I'm I'm actually a civil engineer by profession. I, I write in my spare time. So I had written a certain amount. I had some short stories written. I had a, a short story published. Um, so I, I had some writing experience, but not professional writing experience. So I, I just start writing and didn't stop. Just read as much as I could, researched as much as I could, and then put my spare time into it. And so what was that writing process like for you for The Pagan's Revenge? Did you plot or outline the novel before you jumped into writing the story? No, I didn't. And in my subsequent books, I have plotted them more so. With The Pagan's Revenge, it was a little bit different for me because I had some facts. Like I had I had specific events which did happen in history. So there were specific characters who... Uh, did specific things at a specific time period. So the writing kind of started around those events and grew from there. But that meant that it grew sporadically. So I didn't write it from beginning to end, which was 
quite awkward in the editing phase towards the end of the book and it became quite a slog at that stage um so going forward on my subsequent books it's start to finish and it's a little bit more planned but i i think it for the pagan's revenge i think it worked because quite a bit of the story was springing from actual events that happened so that was my starting point and then to fit the fluff or the fiction or my take on it around that so what kind of research did you do after you discovered the story about this bishop? Quite a bit. So as I said, I live in Vancouver, Canada, but I, I try to get back to Ireland at least once a year. One of my trips back, we uh, we visited the battleground, which is in um, Castle Dermot in County Carlow. And I met a, a local historian there called Eamon Kane, who was, who was really, really helpful and brought me to visit the battleground also brought me to a local church to visit the um, the grave of King Cormac, which is over a thousand years old at this stage. It's it's amazing to see these things that are so old and still there. Um, the research itself, it's hard, it was difficult to get any specific information on specific events. There was quite a lot of information on the people themselves, as in names. So there was quite a lot of information on the people who were involved but not so much information on on what happened or how it happened. Um, so the research was mostly involved in finding who was involved in the story and life at that time. So how Ireland was structured politically at the time and the different families that were involved and the social structures, as in it was mostly Gaelic-Irish who were Christians and then towards the east, say Dublin, at the southeast Wexford Waterford you had Viking settlements there so there was there was a Gaelic nation or a Gaelic island rather it wasn't a nation but a Gaelic island with the beginnings of a Viking culture coming into it which is is there's many remnants of the Viking influence still there today this was this was pre pre-Norman so uh, uh, before what became the British Empire came to Ireland, which which started with with the coming of the Normans in eleven seventy. So yeah, I hope that answers your question. Sure, sure. Are are you working on another book now? I'm working on two books right now. They're they're. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, 
planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com completely separate and not related whatsoever and one of them is called a christmas story sort of because it's sort of a christmas story it's um it's very different from the pagan's revenge in the fact that the pagan's revenge is is quite serious and somber whereas this book is is quite fun it's it's a christmas story about santa claus and it's it's not really for young children it's more for young adults it's almost like a mixture of santa claus meets lord of the rings and it's it's just a lot of fun it's it's basically explaining how santa claus visits so many homes in one night he uses a portal through time and it explores that and explores the different the different people he meets and how he gets through all over the world in one night and it it's it's uh, it's fun yeah i'm really pleased with it and then the uh, the next one I've just started is going to be a quite a long fantasy series, possibly spanning over three books, and it's called the uh, the Water Gods. It's set in a in a fantasy world which is split up into many different kingdoms, and it centers around a child who is supposedly sacrificed, though he's not, and it's his rise to claim back his kingdom. Um, but that that's in the very early stages, whereas the Christmas story is in the late editing stage now. Well, given your experience with the Pagan's Revenge and now the Christmas story and your initial work on your fantasy novels or your series, what writing advice would you offer for listeners who are writing their own stories and novels? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, from my perspective, I think... The main thing for me is is the fact that I'm not a writer by profession. I have a day job which I use which I use to support my writing. Um, there's a very small percentage of writers who actually make a living from writing novels. So you'll find that a lot of writers do have a day job. A lot of writers will have a day job that's um, involves writing. Me personally, I don't. As I said, I'm a civil engineer, but. Um, that supports my writing. So I write in my spare time. I carve out time in the evenings. Probably It's probably limited to two hours a day, but I use that two hours a day very wisely. I think the key thing is, if you want to write, is to literally do that. It sounds very simple, but write. Maybe you start with short stories, but if you're writing a thousand words a day, which is not a huge amount, you know, you'd write a thousand words in, in anything between half an hour to two hours, depending how how much you're thinking about it or how, how much flow you have at the time. But the key is to keep writing and just practice writing and also to keep reading on all subjects. I've I've recently started trying to force myself to read stuff that I generally wouldn't read, like some more of a of the classic writers. Um to expose yourself to as much reading and writing as possible and as much readers and writers as possible to get that dialogue going as much conversation as you can around 
around your work and other people's work. Well, what books have you been reading recently? A, a few different ones. Right now I'm reading um, Shogun. I, I can't remember the author's name, but it's it's the epi- it's a classic Japanese historical fiction novel set in the 16th century. I'm li- actually listening to the audiobook of it. But as I said, I had been forcing myself to read some more uh, classical stories. So I recently read A Tale of Two Cities and A Christmas Carol, two, two Dickens novels, and was getting into some uh, of Mice and Men, I found was just a fantastic book. But I also like um, more modern stuff. For example, Cormac McCarthy, who has written some great books. He's, he's the American writer who has... Uh, you might remember the movie No Country for Old Men or The Counselor. He has written those books. Um, he's written what I consider to be one of the best books ever written, Blood Meridian. It's it's a Western. Um, I also like some Irish writers like Sebastian Barry, who uh, has written Days Without End, which is also a very grim Western, but it's it's just fantastic storytelling. Uh, yeah, those are the ones that spring to mind at the moment, the more recent ones that I've read. Well, where can people find you online if they'd like to learn more about you and your novels and The Pagan's Revenge? A couple of places. I have a website, georgeburnsauthor.wordpress.com. I have a page on Facebook called George Burns Author. Um, those are the main places. You can also email me at any time uh, at georgepatrickburns at gmail.com. I'm always happy to hear from people, if it, any questions or comments. One one comment I will make about The Pagan's Revenge, which is probably worth checking out the website for, some of the, uh, some of the names are heavy Gaelic, and the pronunciation is slightly tricky. So it's probably worth checking out the website for the pronunciation guide on on that if you do decide to read it. Great. Well, again, we've been speaking with George Burns, author of the new historical novel, The Pagan's Revenge. The book is available now, so go buy a copy. And George, thanks for doing this interview. Thanks so much, Jeff. That was fun. Great. And now stay tuned for a short reading from George Burns from his novel, Pagan's Revenge. Pagan's Revenge, Chapter One. The sky is dark over Western Europe as the cold, harsh weather hammers the shores of its outermost island. She has been shaped by the incessant rain and the wind, having emerged after tens of thousands of years from an ice tomb with her neighbouring islands and the rest of mainland Europe. A vast, forested island of green, ringed with ancient mountains, eaten away by the gods of the Ice Age, broken down by eons of erosion. Black water crashes against her harsh shores, a lonely outpost on the edge of the Atlantic. There are no cities to speak of, but countless kingdoms dotted with towns, monasteries, and small settlements. The Roman Empire is shrinking, having left Britain some 400 years before. The Vikings are coming from the east to burn the lands of Western Europe and take what they will. In some ways they will conquer the earth, making their way as far as the New World whilst ravaging the places they pass through, killing, raping, and taking the spoils of war. They set their sights all over Europe, eventually becoming the Norman force that will sink her blood-drenched claws into this wild and beautiful Atlantic outpost, never fully letting go. That is a story for another day. Seeing the splendour of these harsh lands, the Vikings set sail, 
fighting the Saxons in Britain, while making their way further west to spill the blood of innocence on an island where there are riches beyond belief. The word of God is ripe. Centres of art and learning are spread throughout this land of saints and scholars. Monasteries are rich in gold and knowledge, a beacon of light and hope for those who would follow, a beacon of greed and opportunity for those who would take. It is not only from the east that she is attacked. She is torn apart from within, like a great sickness inside her belly, a cancer which will kill her over a thousand years. Her broken factions are constantly at war, where men defile the earth with the blood of those who share a common home, language and ancestry. Peace is only a dream, something this land has never known in thousands of years. This same dream will not be realized for another 1100 years. Many wise men walk this land, spreading the word of God and the message of peace. Many wise men ruled this land and hoped and dreamed of peace and unity, but it was not to be. This is the story of one of those men. Chapter 2 On the 21st day of December, in the year of our Lord, 883, a storm blew over the hill of Tara and battered the castle with wind and rain. It lasted for two days and two nights. It is said that the crying of the newborn princess of Tara, granddaughter to the High King of Ireland, could be heard for miles over the hiss of rain and the howl of wind as she came screaming into the world. She was her father's daughter, a warrior princess. Childbirth was complicated and dangerous in those days. Complications dictated that Gormla, as she would be named, would have to fight her way into the world. And fight she did, tearing through her mother for freedom to breathe the Irish air, a storm raging in the blackness of early morning in the chamber where she was to be delivered. She tore her mother inside the womb that morning, causing her to lose more blood than she could afford. She died shortly after she held a little princess. Flancena, Prince of Tara at the time, was just 19 years old and newly married, having married the woman he loved out of honour as she carried his child. Marriages for the nobles were usually born out of practicality or the need for an alliance rather than love in those days. A marriage like Flancena and Maeve was rare. He had argued for four days and four nights with his father, the king, who did not concede until the priest confirmed she was carrying his grandchild. The king, softening in his old age, might have, in his earlier years, had the woman put to death, but saw how useful it was for his own heir to also have a successor, and sometimes a child about the castle would add colour to an old man's life. Flan arrived in the delivery room to see his wife lying in a blood-soaked bed, holding a pink-skinned blob of flesh, as the life left her body, she smiled at him through her last breath, trying to whisper the name of her daughter as her soul drifted to the heavens. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.